Okay, so what I want to talk about tonight is something very interesting that we could glean from ancient documents, very practical lessons that we could use for our lives. You know, we, we always describe the Torah as a dynamic, dynamic work, that it's not limited to any one place in time or one situation or scenario. It's very flexible. It's very, it's, you know, it's very um, malleable. And the lessons that, that, that are contained in the Torah, we can apply them to our lives today. And, and, you know, what document do you have that's, you know, 3,300 years old? Well, first of all, what document do you have at 3,300 years old? Uh, you don't have that. Uh, a document that's fascinating the entire world. But uh, it's all that more impressive that it's, you know, withstood the test of time. And today, in 2014, we can take this document and really try to, if we analyze it, uh, critically, no, not, not, not to criticize it, but uh, you know, if we try to look beneath the surface, sometimes we could find little lessons that we could that, that are to be very practical for us in, in our lives. So, what I wanted to analyze today is the three times in the Torah that the Torah commands us to have to love something or some or someone. And what I want to do is to build a construct or some sort of um, a framework that we can use for developing this idea and um, understanding what it is and understanding maybe how to uh, you know, pin it down. Because this is something, this, this area of life uh, is in, uh, of love and relationships is an area that's very confounding and vexing for a lot of people today. You would think that we've evolved or developed or we've matured as a society and we kind of could figure out how to perfect relationships when in fact the opposite is true. And it's the, it's the one area of society that we seem to be getting worse at as time goes on. Uh, we don't need to give statistics. Everyone knows this. Everyone's, everyone's familiar with this reality. Uh, so what I want to do is look at the Torah. And the Torah, specifically the three areas the Torah, the Torah commands us to have love and to try to see exactly how it's presented and what exactly tells us and maybe we could gain some insight. What does everyone say about that? Good? Good. Okay, so the, very, the most famous verse in the Torah that's been uh, plagiarized uh, by uh, other religions, we're all familiar with it, is love thy fellow as thyself. We all know it as love thy neighbor. But in the original Hebrew text, it says, v'ahavta l'reacha, reacha means a friend or a fellow, kamocha, as yourself. This is in Leviticus, the third book of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are the books of the Torah, the five books of the Chumashim, Bereshis, Shmos, Vayikra, Bamidbar and Dvarim. These are the books of the Torah. And in 19, it says this chapter, You should love your fellow as yourself. So it's a commandment given to everyone. Everyone who is obligated by the Torah. The Torah is a book of instructions. The book of instructions commands us to love everyone. That's the first one. The second one is we find in Deuteronomy, that's the last one in Dvarim, uh, chapter 10, you should love a convert. Some are converts to Judaism. We know that today we have lots of converts, thank God. Wonderful. People that, Jew, that you know, the Jews by choice who choose to join the religion. And there's a special mitzvah command of the Torah. You should love the convert. Lama, why? Kidgerim hayitem be'eretz mitzrayim. Which means, because you yourself were foreigners in the land of Egypt. So love... Uh, they chose this religion. Well, the word convert in, in Hebrew is the same word used for foreigner. Uh, because someone who, who, who converts is someone new, is, is new to the religion, new to the community, and therefore the Torah tells us that an additional mitzvah to love a convert, because you yourself were a convert. 
And lastly, uh, the commandment to love Hashem, to love to love God. You should love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your resources. So this is the three times of the Torah. The Torah commands us to have love. And the, the major problem with this is that we tend to view love as an emotion. So therefore, an emotion, we, it, we don't seem to have the, the uh, instructions of how to do it. You know, the Torah can say, hey, eat matzah. And everyone knows you make matzah, you eat it. Like it's something which is repeatable. It's something which is, there's a formula to do it. How do you make matzah? How do you bake the matzah? How do you consume the matzah? So everyone can follow it. It's instructions that you have, you get the instructions and you, you, know, you know what to do with them. Uh, put a mezuzah on your door. Right? Every, every, every uh, 80% of the houses in Maryland have mezuzahs on the door. It's very simple. You go, you buy the mezuzah, you put it on the door. Mazel tov, right? You, you, you fulfilled your mitzvah. Can you put your own mezuzah? Yeah. Of course, yeah. It has to be your own mezuzah. It can't be someone else's. No, no, by I mean, yourself. By yourself, not by a rabbi or. No, you don't have to put a rabbi. You know, there's no, there's no mitzvah to have a rabbi. A rabbi might know how to do it, especially if they're skilled with a screwdriver. I heard you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that you're good with a screwdriver, but I can put it like. Yeah, you say the bracha and that's it. You put it up. Yeah, no problem. Okay. Um, the Torah is telling us that, uh, that you have to love your fellow, and it doesn't say the ones that you're friendly with, you're chummy with, or that are from your community, or they're from your society, or that you like the way they, they look, or they smell, or they dress, or whatever. The Torah says love everyone. It doesn't make any exceptions. And this is a commandment, and the Torah is clearly telling us that it's possible to repeat it. There is a system. There's a way to go about to do it. There's a formula that if you follow the formula, you could achieve it. And the problem is that we don't seem, on surface level, to have the formula. And when the Torah gives us a mitzvah, it's also giving us the instructions of how to do it. So what I want to do is to analyze all the places the Torah talks about love and see that if we collect all the different parts, all the different pieces, we put them together, we'll we'll, we'll be able to develop a whole model for understanding this particularly uh, perplexing area of life. Okay, so let's, let's, uh, let's analyze the first thing that it says. I'm going to use the Hebrew term that I always try to say in English. You should love your fellow as yourself or like yourself. The Torah here is giving us a qualification. You have to love your fellow. Well, how much do you have to love him? Do you have to love him uh, five units, ten units, uh, two gallons, or the metrics, liters? How, how much? Like yourself. Now, wait a minute. Well, which is a good point. Which is a good point. The point that Katspeed is bringing up is that if you don't like yourself, How can you like somebody? well, then maybe it's not talking to you. The Torah is saying, just like you like yourself, you're a healthy person. Maybe you're normal. Well, there's a lot. There's a lot in that little sentence. Love your fellow as yourself. We start with the basis. You love yourself. Then you're capable of loving others. Someone who's incapable of loving who doesn't love themselves is incapable of loving, loving others. That's an excellent point. Uh, that's one, that's one uh, thing to extract from that. Another thing, the Torah, it's not possible for someone who's healthy, who loves themselves, to love someone else as much as they love themselves. I can't say it's not possible. It seems like a stretch. How do you make yourself love someone? Well, that's, that, that's a question we have across the board. But the degree... Uh, that we, the, you know, to which we're commanded to love. Some, love I love Johnny, but I love, I, don't, I love Johnny a lot, Rabbi Johnny, but not as much as I love myself. And I, I have nothing against him. I really love him, but just not as much as myself. 
And it doesn't, it seems unnatural. And in fact, we have sources in the Torah that say that whenever it's you or someone else, Chayecha Kodmin, which will translate means your life takes precedence. So the Torah is clearly saying your life does take precedence. So what does it mean like yourself? So one of the answers given is that, hey, you have to love yourself. It's not saying you have to love them as much with the same quantity and same degree as much as you love yourself. Rather, it means, like we said earlier, just like you love yourself, you should love someone else. Um, another way to look at it is like this. Let's say I told you, you know what? The Torah says to do something. Torah says to eat something that you're not so interested in eating or to go somewhere you're not so interested in You'll do it, right? Because it's a mitzvah. I'll follow it. I'll do it with my, as they say, I'll do it my, I'll clench my nose and I'll do it, right? If that's what the commandment is, I'll do it because I'm obligated to do it. Now, healthy people love themselves not because they're obligated to do it. They just love themselves as the pure emotional love that they have for themselves. No one says, oh, you know what? Uh, my kids don't reason like this. Uh, um, I, uh, I was told that you have to love yourself, and that's why I love, them, love myself. No, people just love themselves because they have a certain emotional reaction, and they want good things for themselves, and they look out for themselves. They love themselves. The Torah is telling us, love your fellow as yourself. Don't say, I'm going to love him even though I can't stand him. <laughs> but I'll do it because it's a mitzvah. That's not what the Torah wants. You don't love yourself because it's a mitzvah, right? You have to find a way to f- develop some level of emotional love, of positive feelings to someone else. Like empath- uh, uh, empathy. 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 Well, we'll get, empathy. Okay, we'll get to that. Excellent. But I, I think that this, uh, this I want to use this as, as really the problem. The problem with this mitzvah is that it has to be a formula. There has to be something that we could do and just follow the steps, follow the instructions, and reach the said goal. And uh, because the said goal is a certain emotional experience, therefore it's going to make it even a little bit more difficult. If someone said, oh, you know what it means to love, to love your fellow? You give them charity, or you give them a ride, or you, you say something nice to them. Well, that's much easier to do. But to have the emotion as yourself, the same way you love yourself, that's more difficult. But I think that it's possible. And I think the Torah outlines it. And in fact, the first time the Torah says the word love, who here knows where the first time the Torah says the word love? Anyone else? Anyone say guess? Venture guess? Yaakov. Yaakov. Booyah. <laughs> Good job. In, the, uh, in, uh, in, in, in Genesis chapter 24, I, I wrote it down here, it says, and Isaac, we're talking about Isaac meets Rebekah, Rebecca was brought in from, e- from the east and she was on the camel. She sees Isaac coming back from prayer. She gets so shocked by it. She falls off the camel. And she's like, who is this guy? She tells <laughs> Eliezer. And he says, oh, he's, he's, your, you know, he's your prospective uh, your prospective husband. That's what it says right before. Then it says, and I'll read the quote. And Isaac brought her to the tent of Sarah, his mother. And he took Rebecca as a wife and he married her. And he loved her. And he loved her. And he was consoled, he had consolation after or over Sarah, his mother. This is like the ultimate like mother-in-law like getting involved in the party. Like We're talking about the betrothal or the marriage, the young love percolating of Isaac and Rebekah. And it says twice, and Isaac brought her to the tent of Sarah, his mother, 
We're invoking his mother. And he took her, he married her, he loved her, and he was consoled after Sarah, his mother. Why is it so important to tell us so much about his mother? His mother's dead, by the way. She's already dead. You know. But we, he took his wife to, to his mother's tent, and he married her, and he really liked her, he loved her, and he was consoled after his mother. W- w- why are we injecting this whole theme of uh, Isaac's mother into the discussion of Isaac's marriage and love to his wife, Rebecca? So the commentaries uh, quote the Talmud. The Talmud says that what actually happened here, that Sarah had a tent, okay, and several miracles happened in her tent due to her uh, uh, piety. She was such a wonderful woman. She was so kind. She was so, she, you know, she she had a degree of prophecy. She was married to Abraham. You know, she was a leader of tens of thousands of women. And when she would light candles on Friday night, they would last till the upcoming Friday night. That's what the, the Talmud says. Right? This was a miracle that happened for Sarah. And it happened in her tent. She lit the cows in her tent. It would last the entire, the entire week. What happens? Sarah died. And what happened to the miracle? It went with her. Isaac brings Rebecca to the tent of Sarah. Friday night. She lights the candles. It lasts a week. He loves her. And he's consoled after his brother. Point being is that the Torah is telling us two things really in this in the sentence. Number one is describing Rebecca's character, her qualities. She filled the shoes. She was as uh, admirable. She had a remarkable character, like her mother-in-law, like Sarah. And it tells us that, and then it tells us that that Isaac loved her. Point being is that what it's really telling us is the definition of love. Why did Isaac love her? Because he realized what sterling character she had. Uh, there's a famous uh, Rabbi Weinberg in Asha uh, Torah. So he famously said, he said, the definition of love, and I quote it, <clears throat> the emotional pleasure one experiences when he finds virtue in another human being and identifies that person with those virtues. Right? What it means to love someone is to you know, see how their character is. Notice their character. You notice their character. They're good. They're solid. They have good qualities. They have midotovot. They have positive character traits. Then you love them. You say, wait a minute, Rabbi Weinberg, where did you get that? Of all, you scour the internet for definitions of love. You won't find that outside of uh, articles referencing his definition. Where do you get that from? I think he got it from this verse in the Torah. This verse says it. It says that Rebecca was associated. With, uh, with Sarah, she had the same character. She had the same, uh, uh, whatever it was, piety or kindness, whatever, that, whatever Sarah had that gave her that uh, high-level character. Isaac, Isaac saw that. She saw that she was very much at home in Sarah's tent, and he loved her. And it, it, it's, not, it's not a coincidence. When the Torah tells us, the first time it tells us this word, it's also given us a definition. Because that is indeed a definition. And I think that this opens up for us a, an entire uh, angle or an approach to actually making this idea of love and the emotional idea of love into a, some sort of repeatable formula. Well, it means to focus on someone's character that would make you 
Why is that? Sorry. Why is that? Because if you focus on a per if you if you focus on a person's character, so it, it's not like making you love someone. You just love him for his character. He's got a great character. I love this person. I think I have a great character as well. But maybe that one. It Okay, excellent. You know, I was uh, I was in Toronto this past uh, Shabbat. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we, we drove um, a week and a half ago, or I guess two weeks ago, from Houston. We drove to New York. We were in New York for like a week, and we drove to Canada. I was there for, oh, sh there for Shabbos. We did 33 hours of driving with four kids. Oh, wow. I did everything. Wow. And only one speeding ticket. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> so we were in we're in Toronto. We're in Shomer Shabbos. You know, Shomer Shabbos. It's like a hundred year old shul, and uh, my kids were there. They came for one of. Them. They were there, and there's two kids sitting in the bench in front of me, and they each have like these big, like looks like these comic books. It was like some sort of book that had nice flashy pictures. These kids must be four or five years old, and my kids standing right, right. We're right. They're right in front of them. They're sitting in the chair, and my kids standing. And he, he what does what does he start doing? He looks over the girl's shoulder to look at the pictures. And she notices him. So what does she do? She, no, no. Oh, she, wow. she, 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 okay. she blocks him. Oh, okay. I thought now, she was now, now, like, now, so I, I, that was a, it was a, uh, a 10 second exchange. And then he left. He was running around anyhow. He stopped for a second. And then she looked up to make sure he wasn't, he wasn't watching. So I told my son after and said, he noticed it. I, you know, he knows what happened. He didn't make a big deal. I'm not making a big deal either. But the point is, is that this child, like every child in the world, has a certain composition, a certain mixed makeup of positive and negative character. If you're human, and everyone in this room who is human, please raise your hand. Okay, everyone human. <laughs> We're all human. <laughs> <laughs> We're all human, and by definition, if you're human, you have a certain mix of character. If something's come more natural to you, I, I, have, two, I have two sons, you know, I have three sons, but I have two of my sons, you know, they grew up with the same parents, in the same house, same environment, same school. One of them loves sharing, and the other one doesn't love sharing. And the, and, and the older one who loves sharing, he'll share even if, and he'll start crying. They'll say, uh, the kids will fight, they fight over the silly things, like, oh, he got another, you know, millimeter more of drink than I did. So he would, he would switch, you know, he would, like, give in, you know. He would switch, but then he would start crying. But he would do it anyhow, because it's, he, he's implanted by the Almighty as having a certain characteristic of, of wanting to share, of not, not being able to see someone else, not have something. But he does it, and it's painful. The other one has, he doesn't, no, he doesn't share, doesn't share. <laughs> and and but this is from day one. This is from day one, and this is everyone, and us as adults. We also have a certain mix, uh, you know. And and not uh, a quick side tangent. The idea of musar. If you heard the term musar, musar, that is the entire philosophy of identifying your character, both positive and negative, and developing a an approach or a strategy and tactics to perfect your character and to try to improve the areas that need to be improved. But everyone, by definition, if they're human, they have this. Now, why, uh, just another quick side tangent, why, if you're human, do you have this? Why do you have this mix? You know why? In Judaism, we say, because that's why you're here. 
You're here because you're on a mission. What's your mission? To make sure you improve your character. Well, how do you improve your character? That's what the Torah is here for. Torah is a book of instructions to help you improve your character, to give you willpower, to make sure you're not lazy, to make sure you're accomplished, to make sure you have a, an eye for someone else and you become a kind person. You, don't, you know, That's what the Torah is there for, to help us improve our character. Uh, you know, the first mitzvah in the Torah is to get married. And how is it described? How how is the first marriage described in the first Torah? Well, let's say a back to our theme of the first time something is described in the Torah. It tells us about what it is, right? Someone should leave the father and mother, cleave to his wife, and there should be one flesh, right? It's a certain abandonment of your previous identity, right? And to and that's difficult, and that's why people have such a hard time. Because there's an acclimation process of getting used to giving in to someone else, getting used to compromise, getting used to not exactly having everything go your way. And that's a very healthy thing, even though it's painful. So that's what the, the, the Torah is telling us. We want this for you because it's good for you, because that's really what you're here for. But point being, is if we go back to our original line of thinking, we're, uh, everyone has positive things, Everyone has characteristics about them that are worthy of admiration. Everyone has something about them that they're good. It may be that they don't get angry. You see people that, that you know, people cut them off, and, and you know, or people do bad things and they don't get angry at them. It's just a beautiful characteristic. And if you are able to notice that, to analyze that, to dwell on that, to identify the person with a positive character, you'll grow to like them. Because you'll you'll think of them as, as someone that's that you want to be friends with, someone that you could learn from, someone that you could uh, that you know that's a positive influence on you. And if they don't have that quality, they have something else. Everyone has something that you could admire. We have a Mishnah, famous Mishnah, Who is the wise person? He who learns from everyone. And the great commentary of Rabbeinu Yona, he says, "Why? Well, what do you mean learn from everyone? What do you mean I'm the smartest guy in the room?" Right? I'm learning from everyone. Yeah. What, what, what if someone is indeed the smartest guy in the room? Like Johnny, right? Rabbi Johnny. I was just about to say, like, <laughs> like, like a speaker. Uh, so. Well, okay, no. Learn uh, from the modest guy in the room. Well, the point is, is that even though you may have a certain area of excellence, you're also composed of a certain mixture of positive and negative. And everyone else that you encounter has some, something about them that you can learn from. So that's why everyone that you meet could become a learning influence on you. And you know what? If you have this attitude, if you adopt this attitude of looking out for the positive character and noticing, you notice, you know, Isaac loved his mother. He did. Okay? Rebecca watched in, right? He noticed that she also had wonderful qualities. He took the time to notice that. And he said, oh my gosh, this is someone that is worthy of admiration. What happens next? He loves her. You have to also notice. You have to be attuned. You have to have this awareness of looking out for someone's quality. And you know what? This is a repeatable process. Because when the Torah is telling you you should love your fellow as yourself, the Torah is telling you you have to change your attitude. It's an attitude shift. It's every person you meet, what is good about that person? What can I learn from that person? That, that's, that, that's the shift. And that's something that's repeatable. It's, it's something you teach yourself, and, you, you, you know, and eventually that will bring you to love every person that you encounter. Because everyone has, as I mentioned, there's something you can learn from everyone. 
Hence, you can love everyone. And yes, it's not an easy thing. Uh, and the Torah also tells us that this is basically all of Torah on, on, on one leg. We know the famous Hillel and Shammai. So there was the, uh, about the 21, 20, 100 years ago, there was uh, two schools of, uh, of, of, of scholarship. The school of, of Bet Hillel and Bet Shammai. Now Shammai was a really tough and sharp guy. He was much, the Talmud says he was more intelligent. And this Gentile walks in and says, Shammai, I have a question. I want to study all of Torah on one leg. He says, you, you're a Gentile. You want to study Torah all on one leg? Get the heck out of here, he tells him. So he goes, to, he goes down the block. He goes to Hillel. So he says, Hillel, I want to learn all of Torah on one leg. He says, oh, really? Okay. Which is a play in words of that which you despise, that which you don't like, don't do, don't do to someone else. And the commentaries say that that's really love your fellow as yourself. That's all of Torah. Because all of Torah is trying to get you to change this one little focus of learning from everyone else, of loving everyone else. Because you do that, you'll also improve your character. Because you'll learn from every person you encounter. Because you'll notice the positive qualities of every person. So in effect, it'll have a, it'll have a ripple effect that not only will you be much more of a, have much more positive relationships, but also those relationships will influence you to become a better person. And, you know, back to love your fellow as yourself. As yourself, right? It's as yourself. Well, what if you meet someone that has negative character? Or maybe they have more negative character. Each one of us has something good. Well, just like by yourself. You give yourself the benefit of the doubt. You say, uh, you know, we all healthy people say, you know what? I really mean good. I really want to be good. I mess up most of the time. But overall, I'm good, right? We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. The Torah is you love everyone like yourself. Give them the same flexibility and the same credit that you give yourself. Right? And this, this process is repeatable. It's not easy. It's all of Torah. Right? And we have another statement in the Talmud. Rabbi Akiva says, the great Rabbi Akiva says, Zeh klal gadol batar. This is a great principle in all of Torah. This one thing of loving your fellows yourself, it's a great principle in all of Torah because it's so, it, 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 it covers so many bases and it helps you in so many areas of life. Okay, so uh, loving your fellows yourself. Uh, what is the definition of fellow? Is that just people you know personally or is it everyone? Tell me, what do you think it means? Well, because, you know... It probably means people you encounter. You people like, you know, rapists, murderers... Yeah, e- every single time I say, we talk about this, there's always the... I call it the Hitler question. Well, what about Hitler, <laughs> yeah. right? Well, he did good. He killed Hitler. Well, okay. Well, he's not a rare. <laughs> yeah, well, um, it seems like... So they say about Hitler, there's a conspiracy theory Oh, yeah, he's still alive, yeah. No, okay. <laughs> no, but uh, the word rea... Uh, is used in the Talmud, it's a- analyzed as being someone who is basically good. You know, we're talking about the 98% of the people, you know, not the Ted Bundys and the, you know, son of Sam, David Berkowitz of the world, who, by the way, David Berkowitz was not Jewish. Who? David Berkowitz. He wasn't Jewish. Is there a more Jewish name than Berkowitz? No. No. But there's Cohen. this, huh? Cohen. Well, Cohen maybe, but uh, David Berkowitz was not Jewish. David Berkowitz, son of Sam. He was like a serial, <laughs> serial killer. Anyhow, David Berkowitz, but he wasn't Jewish. Um, 
Just the last names make us look bad. Yeah. Okay, so so that's love your fellow. And I think that what we you know what we really could come out with is that yeah, the Torah says these five or six what is it? Three words. And it seems cryptic and seems it seems unreasonable, but you have to know Torah has definitions of love. Torah uses this word elsewhere. Let's look everywhere else the Torah uses this word. Let's understand what's really going on with the story of Isaac and Rebecca. We get a certain picture of what love actually means. We take that and bring it to Leviticus. We say, okay, that love, let's transplant that over here. Kamocha, like yourself, you give yourself a better than the doubt, you love yourself, right? You love yourself not with uh, obligation or responsibility, just out of plain love. How do you get that? By noticing they're good. I'd like to add to what you're saying, Yaakov. Another place in the Torah where it mentions love is what you say in Shema every single day. So it actually well, I mentioned I mentioned that already. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, every, everything that you're saying now about how we see the beauty and the good and, and others also really works with loving God. When we look around and we and we and we love all the beauty, we obviously unlike a human being where there's positives and negatives, we understand that God is all good and all perfect. But we have to discover that, and that love that we're able to develop with the Almighty with Hashem also comes about through looking at the positive and looking at the beautiful world that we have around us and all the good things that he's given us, our health, our family, our lifestyle, everything that we have. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And in fact, I'll add another thing to what you just said. <laughs> um, what you just said was indeed the Sifri. And uh, Sifri is a Mishnaic era uh, a c- collection of, of, of Midrashim. And it says... How do you love God? Right? He says, you love God also by studying his Torah, by studying his creation, and studying his involvement in our lives. So if you say, hey, my heart beats 108,000 times a day, I don't press a button. Uh, there's no battery. It doesn't erode. I don't, I don't get the 20K uh, uh, PSI. Uh, you don't get that. It's all automatic. You know, And the sun is exactly, perfectly 90 Two million six hundred thousand miles away, and if it was just a few hundred miles each way, life would be untenable. Like so many things work out just perfect, so we could live. You know, life could sustain, could be sustained on a tiny little sliver of temperature. We happen to be right in that sweet spot, and we also happen to have liquid water, and we also have to have happen to have fingers that bend. That's pretty awesome. You know, try imagining life with like put on Imagine put on thumbs. Thumbs. Yeah, there's but there's so many things, you know, and if, if you didn't have if you didn't have a liver and you would drink a cup of coffee, you would die. Right, like your liver just saves you every single day. And we you know, but and yes, that there's an entire like this that's correct. There's. If they what? If you lose, you lose what? Oh, he said you can't walk without toes. No, without big toes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll keep them. Instead of 
and save the baby, and apparently eight other human beings were saved from this one girl's different uh, body, body organs. Yeah. Organs, yeah. yeah. I'm just saying the liver itself, it's such an unbelievable thing. They were able to take this girl's liver, save my friend, and take a little bit of it to save a baby. Yeah, uh, scientists have... Because it... it, 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 it Regenerate. Scientists have uh, have isolated more than five hundred distinct uh, features, um, functions of the liver. It does so many things. It's a filtration system. It's not replicated anywhere. Like nothing that we could do in in with regards to filtration that could anywhere anywhere near within with yeah within uh, stones. And there's so many of those things. Like there's the macro stuff, the world, and this and that. Everything works out nice and balanced and perfect. And it's also within ourselves. And we have a verse, famous verse. It's not in the Torah. It's in the it's in the Bible in the, Jew, in the in the Old Testament, which is the Testament, by the way, uh, it says "Mi b'sari which means from my body, from my flesh, I could see God, right? And I'll appreciate God. Thank you so much, Johnny, for uh, yes. Okay, now we have a mitzvah to love everyone, love your fellow. It means people you encounter, people that are basically good. We have an additional mitzvah to love the convert. So there's a debate. Does that mean there's two mitzvahs to love a convert or not? Or maybe that there's a conflict that there's more of a risk of xenophobia, that you might not like him, that you know, they don't know exactly how to do things properly. Uh, either way, we're told in Deuteronomy again to love the convert. Why? Because you yourself were a convert in the land of Egypt. The Torah tells us this is another method of how to have, of how to have this emotion. And what's that? You have to figure out what another person is going through. How do you do that? How do you superimpose yourself into someone else's life? How do you make what they're going through your problem? You know what you do? You think back to the time that you yourself had the same problem. We've all been the newcomer the first day of school, the first day coming to talk or coming to some social event where you don't know anyone. Right, you're all alone, and you feel awkward, and you feel, and you feel right. That's that's what a convert is. The convert doesn't know the custom, doesn't know how things work, doesn't know exactly, you know, where the bathroom is and where this and what's protocol. Right, first day work, first day of school. We've all had that experience. Torah's telling you, you see someone, you have to try to delve into what they're going through. You have to try to make their life something that you care about. Empathize. How do you do that? Think what they're going through. This person's a convert. They're going through something that I myself went through. I could feel their pain. I could. How, how I could, are you a convert? It says, "Kigerim ayisim beretz mitzrayim." Right. Okay. I'm saying it's like during the seder, you know, because right. So you have to imagine what it was like because although no, our, like, although our nishamot were all at Mount Sinai. No, it, it, it means that's the experience. It's, right. not, it's not just specifically you were in the land of Egypt. It means right. it's an experience that we collectively have had as a nation yeah. many times, not just Egypt. We've right. been to everywhere, right? right. Uh, you know, uh, how many uh, countries have not expelled have us? Have we been expelled from? Have we not? Right. It's much easier to... Oh, like, have we not? From personal experience of anything, first time you've ever been yeah. in a foreign country yeah. and you needed to... You know, how many countries, uh, quick uh, trivia here, how many countries in Europe have not expelled us over the past oh, thousand years. Um, Denmark. Oh, we did. Well, Denmark has a nice record. But I think it, I think Denmark. they also have. A, well, yeah, I know. During Switzerland, Switzerland, Scandinavia. No, Switzerland. What do you mean? Switzerland was the, was the last. I think the last country to, to allow Jews to yeah. have no, citizenship. You asked a different yeah. question. Expelling. You asked expelling. 
Well, <coughs> a lot of Jews found safe haven in Switzerland, no? But uh, that's why I said Some. quotations. Yeah, quotations, yeah. And they yeah. started also letting us out yes but pretty much a disaster you're 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 france but you're france the russines and now what is called ukraine were hiding us um, we're talking about specifically during some, this some, no all of the russines um, During World War II, we're talking specifically? Yeah. About a thousand years. Like, I'm Ukraine has a terrible record over the past thousand years. Oh, yeah, years. yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, it, it's, a specific, it's a specific um, group of people. Yes. Cultural group. Well, e- either way, it's an experience that everyone has had. The Hungarian no, Jews Hungarian. had some of the worst, yeah. Yeah, but, but they only had one year of it. Yeah, one year. As opposed to Polish Jews had six years. Well, Can you like, imagine? When German, when German, they had German territory. One year, because they had German territory for a much longer than that one year. But the, and how they were able to save the Jews for that long before that one year was the Netherlands that was after. That was um, the worst. I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. I think the Nazis tried because they got there too. Then they just didn't expect it. Well, yeah, I'm talking about a thousand years. You know. No, 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 no. Yeah, it really, I'm saying. I, I can't even think of any. There's, there's, there's hundreds, maybe probably thousands of Jewish communities. You know that uh, during uh, the Black bubonic plague in medieval times, Middle Ages, right? There were thousands of Jewish communities that were slaughtered because the Jews killed everyone. The Jews poisoned the wells. Anyhow, uh, but... Oh, that blood libels, exactly. Well, Scandinavians, they're always just... I know, my, my grandfather lived in, in, in Stockholm for six years over the war. Uh, yeah, that's true. They, I'm saying they, were, they were neutral, so they didn't have a part. You know. Even though Finland uh, there was a hotbed of, uh, of activity. Right, there was at one Actually, Finland and was one. It was Hitler's really first mistake. Was where he had sent all his ships, all his U-boats, to defend the northern part of the, the right. The, the uh, Finland. That's what he was worried about. When he could have just waltzed into England and just just eaten everyone up. His first mistake. His second mistake was it was. The second mistake was was Mas- well not Moscow was that was that entire he, he said he said you know what I want to have a twelve hundred mile battlefront anyhow uh, back to our discussion at hand Luxembourg doesn't even register on the map Luxembourg excellent thank you so um, so I, I think what you have a GoPro. I have a GoPro. I bought a GoPro. Nice. Yeah. Hero. I'm a hero. I'm a hero. <laughs> so I think what the Torah is telling us. Back to our our, our conversation. The Torah is telling us you have to invest in other people. There's right? a convert. But take the word convert and turn it to anyone else. Anyone, everyone is going through something at some at, at every every point in time. Everyone, the convert's going through his thing. You have to say, I'm invested. I went through it myself. I have a certain association with the person that I'm invested in. Right? If you invest time, energy, emotional energy into someone, right, you'll care for it. You'll come to love it. Right? 
love the convert. How do I love the convert? He doesn't talk like me. He doesn't speak like me. He doesn't, doesn't you know, he, he's, he's different. He has strange customs. He, he's different. You, the, another way to connect him is to empathize with him. You care for him, right? You, 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 you superimpose yourself. Right? Imagine you're, you, know, you were in his shoes. You, were, you had that experience as well. Right? You do that, you're invested, and, and, you, and you'll come to love him. Not everyone at once, right? Whoa, whoa, whoa. So I had a, uh, like, you know, my kids like Lego as, uh, you know. That's all the kids. Yeah. So, like, if you see, you see a kid with a Lego project. And between me and, you, me and you, it's not really setting the world on fire, the architectural world on fire. It's not. But when kids invest in it. Now they have the Lego movie, the Lego movie, right? No, but the point is that your kid is involved in it because they dedicate time to it, they invest in it. It's important to them. It's very important to them. If you invest in other people, if you care about other people, if you empathize with other people, right, you'll care for that as well. You know that the uh, Rabbi Israel Salanter, uh, 19th century a Lithuanian and German rabbi, he said uh, if a kid is playing in a bath. He's playing with a block of wood, and in his in his in his mind, he imagines this block of wood to be a ship, like a ship that's sailing. And you take it away, right? You 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 know you uh, you drown it, so to speak. The child feels the same emotional pain that an adult would feel if their merchant ship was uh, was sunk. Because whenever you invest time and uh, you know energy into something, you'll care for it. So I think that we could say also as another alternative method, right? Loving the convert, right? How do you love the convert? You invest into, into them, right? How, what do I have to do? I can't talk to them, right? Empathize with them. Try to understand where they're coming from, what they're going through. Right? You yourself went through that. That's, that's, that brings it home. It makes it very personal. You do that, you'll love them. Love, these things don't seem to make a connection. Love the convert, because you yourself was a foreigner in Egypt. What does what, what the fact that I was in Egypt have to do with me loving the convert? We're not in Egypt anymore. I used to be in Egypt, and now I'm, not, now I'm elsewhere. That's a method. How do you love a convert, or anyone for that matter? You empathize with them. So, uh, in conclusion, um, I wanted to, once again, sorry. I wasn't going to see what, what time it was, yeah. Have you ever done that? Okay, so you can't empathize, right? You never felt like a fool in front of a bunch of people? Uh, no. <laughs> the Torah tells us... <laughs> the Torah tells us uh, verses, and the Torah has tremendous for, uh, uh, foresight. The Torah is telling us these words. It's, it, how many words are there about love in the Torah? How many? There's a little bit uh, by, uh, by, uh, by Isaac, and I, I can't think of any other else. There's four verses, maybe, four verses of the Torah. What did Yaakov love his... Uh, yeah, he, loved, he loved Yosef. Oh, no, uh, he loved his, his wife, and the, the seven years went by, by really quickly. Well, and also you have very good. You have Isaac <laughs> loving uh, uh, Esau. Esau. Either way, it's not so many times, but with the commandments come instructions. And I, I think that, you know, we talk about... Uh, people that uh, unfortunately uh, get divorced, right? It's very common. You know, people, the average uh, 
the average length of a marriage uh, that gets to, is about seven to eight years. Really? Very That's short. Yeah. It's very short. I'm, I'm, I'm actually right between seven and eight. So I'm, I'm almost the boat. Well, that's one way to look at it, but uh, if you look at it, from, yeah, that makes sense. But uh, I, I think that we could, you know, if we don't want our relationships to go south, I think we have to realize that this is an exercise. It's not something you get, you know. Why do people, why do their marriage, why do their relationships fail? Well, they don't love each other. Why not? They used to love each other. What happened? What changed? Well, this is something that you have to constantly... It's like a muscle. You have to, you have to constantly make sure you don't lose it. Because if you don't act in a way... Right? If, if, if you act in a way of always looking for the good in, in, in someone else, you'll keep on loving them. If you stop and just focus on the bad, and you each are complaining and... Uh, about that, why do you do this and why do you do that and why do you, why do you, why are you always this and why are you always like that? Well, then what you're doing is in effect you're you're doing you're you're engaging in anti-love. You're focused on the other person's weakness, and that will certainly erode the relationship. That that's what happens. You know, if you stop to empathize and you stop to look at the good and you focus on the bad, well, then the relationship will grow sour. So it's not brain surgery; it's a formula. Follow the formula, have love. Follow the formula, you'll maintain, sustain nourish and even deepen that love uh, so that's that so three loves in the Torah uh, I have more to say but uh, maybe we'll leave for some other time it's uh, 9.05 very interesting uh, 9.05 yeah uh, 416 there's a, uh, a statement in Exodus the Torah gives a very bizarre uh, definition you know if you talk it, if, if I had to say, give me a definition of a person, of a man who is unmarried, who is a bachelor, how would you define that? Messy. Messy. Uh, that's one way to do it. Free. Unorganized. Malnutrition. Malnutrition. Free. <laughs> free, we said already. A bro. Rogue. A bro. Rogue. A bro. Um, maybe not married, filing jointly. You know, the tax implications. Single, not unmarried. Saving yeah. money. <laughs> <laughs> not, hem- not hemorrhaging. Not hemorrhaging cash. There's lots of definitions that we, we would all give, right? Um, there's lots of definitions we would all give. The Torah in, in Exodus, talks about a, a, a Jewish slave. I don't get what a Jewish slave is. And it says, Im Thank you, Johnny. What does that mean? So. Oh, well, that's what you think it means. Begapol means the knaf gadav, the edge of his garment. We all, we have about 10 definitions or 10 descriptions of a, of a single person. None of them had anything to do with the edge of someone's garment. The Torah gives a very bizarre description of a single person. If you want to make clothes for you. doesn't have to do the laundry. So the commentators say is that when someone is single, someone doesn't have love, their life ends where their edge of the garment ends. Where that ends, that's where their life ends. In that's, that's the definition. What does it mean a single person? Someone doesn't have love. Their life ends. They don't empathize with someone who's, who's, who's beyond them. They don't care for someone around them. This is where they end. This is where they end. And when they have love, when they have marriage, hopefully they'll have both, right? That will expand. They're no longer, their life doesn't just end where their garment ends. It encompasses others. 
Back to the verse we brought from from Adam. Adam. Well, hopefully that's. But but the Torah, the, no. The hope. The hope. The hope is that uh, that that you know. Sometimes people say you know. Well, I'll, just, I'll explain to you why I said hopefully because sometimes people say you know what the marriage isn't really working. Let's have kids. Let's cement it, no. which is a very poor idea. Um, but the Torah's des- description of marriage. What was it? Back to what we said in in, in the beginning of Genesis. It says, um, um, leave your parents. You leave your certain identity. You leave the edge of the garment. You fuse into one. Right. Your life expands beyond yourself. So that's that. We have some. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's why marriage is so difficult. You know, because you're having to you're having to basically break the certain mold that you've been accustomed to and develop a new one. That's that's not always your way. It's not always what you want to do. It's not always you have to compromise. The uh, how do you say to get engaged in uh, Spanish? What about el isn't it compromise? Compromiso. Thank you to compromise. How do you like that? So that's the idea, guys. So we, we got some invaluable life lessons that hopefully we will uh, introduce into our character, into our outlook, into our uh, perspective, into our Weltanschauung. Check a dictionary, it's there. It's the only word in English that has two U's one after another. Now we have a word that has two I's one after another. Embed. Anybody? Embiid. Embiid is the name of an uh, African basketball player that was oh. just drafted. Oh. <laughs> Joel Embiid. The name is not a word. Yeah. Well, the point is that you won't get a, you won't get a squid, you won't get the squiddly line on the bottom of the Microsoft uh, word. Anyhow, but the Weltanschauung means world outlook. So if we take these ideas, hopefully, and integrate them into our lives, I think that not only will we vastly improve our, our chances and our successes in our relationships. Um, you know, in our social uh, life, but also, you know, the ripple effect, is, and it's not easy, like we mentioned, but it'll have a very far-reaching positive effect onto our life, and, you know, that's what, you know, that's what the Torah wants from us. The Torah is promising that it's not going to be easy, but it's a fundamental principle in all, of, in all of Judaism. It's all of Torah on one leg, you know, because this is really the fast track. It's the uh, cliff notes. So basically what he says is how to Act, feel, and be towards others is looking into yourself. Well, that's there's a lot. First, first into yourself. Also, just like you look at things in a similar manner, with the similar misgivings or similar allowance, similar tolerance that you give to yourself, and uh, and to and to you know and to. So it's smart because this are things we say you know to our. We're being told as. Uh, children by our parents and probably we pass it on like you know do you want someone to do this to you how would you feel if someone will do this to you that's a way to teach you give you a, like a personal yeah, example yeah but you could do it even deeper you love yourself try in some way to figure out a way to do that for other people if you could do that that's all of Torah really on, on one leg everything else is commentary that's that everyone
Thank you very much. Nice. Thank you. Before I forget, if anyone is uh, able or willing to help us uh, cover the cost of the food, here's the envelope, cash or credit or debit. Thank you all very much. What about what about?